Well, I played for the Southland Redskins. It was a peewee football team, and we played the Vikings and the Cardinals and the Raiders. And let me tell you, um, I went out there and I, and I practiced, but I was pretty much on the bench most of the time. But before games into the season, the coach took a chance on me. And he said, Stefan! And he grabbed my, my shoulder pad and he said, 23 is getting through the line. And I want you to go in there and stop him. <laughs> so you're, could you see me? I mean, I, I mean, uh, I, I was short. I'm short now. I was short then, and, and so, uh, and, and so, I run out there, and I get in my stance. And this dude, man, he, I mean, he was huge. And I looked, and he was in his three-point stance, and he was talking to me through his grill, and he said, "I'm taking you down." <laughs> and I got to tell you. He was right. <laughs> and uh, and so I, I got back up again after about three of those plays. And I looked over at the coach like, are you going to take me out? And he shook his head. And I got back down in my three-point stance. 23. I memorized his number to this day. Well, you know, James is kind of like well, he, he's blunt, and he, he makes us uncomfortable. James in the New Testament. Uh, he's kind of like that, that tough, gruff football coach uh, that really loves his players. He pushes them, but it's because he cares for them, and, and he wants them to be winners. Not on the field only, but off the field. And so uh, coaches have a few key things that, that they want their players to work on. And James has some things that he wants his hearers to do as followers of Christ. And one of those key things that he says is central to victory is to put your faith in action. To put your faith in action. Now, I don't know many people who just love practice. Now, there are some that are on teams that enjoy practice. But for me, you know, for me, practice in my short football career meant physical pain. It was synonymous with hot days and monotony and, and injury and, and endless drills. But all of that kind of crescendo to the opportunity to play on Friday night or, or, or Saturday, whatever the case may be. But think about this a minute. Wouldn't it be absurd... If every team mate and player said, you know, I don't really care about playing, just let me practice, okay? We would say, that's, that's ridiculous. Well, this is what James is saying to the believers. He's saying, all that you practice it's time now to apply. He's saying, it's time to get on the field. It's time as followers of this one called Jesus, it's time for us to put our faith into action. 
And, and I have found that sometimes defining something is more easily done when you define what it is not. And so what is faith not? What faith is not is, number one, empty words. I want you to look at this text with me out of James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. He's saying, don't let your words be empty. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, and if one of you says to them as they approach you, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? Those are, those are empty words. He's saying it's easier to talk a good game than it is to get in the game. A friend of mine who's a pastor um, was telling me about how his son was playing Little League Baseball and, and some of the guys were being critical and, and some of the opposing team members were kind of taunting him and he was like, Dad, I, wanna, I just want to say some things to him. And he said, look, just let your talking come through your bat. Let your bat do your talking. They'll shut up. And, and I think what James is saying here is, you know, put some legs and, and hands on your faith and, and let that stand out. And so have, have this sense of being activated in your faith. You see, we're in a series entitled, A Waiting World Will You Go? And Anthony talked about that last week. And go is the key word. And one of the things we're doing is trying to engage children in our community, right where they are. And that's why Chris talked about the mentoring ministry. Because we don't believe that our faith is sedentary. We believe that it's active and dynamic. That, it's, that it doesn't stand still. And that's one of the things I love about John Wesley. John Wesley believed in two kinds of holiness, uh, two kinds of living out one's faith. One was spiritual holiness. He said, you need to be about holy habits, things that will build Christ-likeness in you. And, And so you need to be a disciplined person. As a disciple of Christ, you need to be about some of these, sharing in holy communion, worshiping together, praying daily, um, but then he had something called social holiness that, that he believed was part of the equation as well. And, and he said, just as my heart grows, I want my hand to be extended. I, I, I want to give of myself. I want to reach out to others. Kind of like that old uh, illustration of the European church. And out front, after World War II, there was an image of Christ. And the hands had been knocked off and the feet had been knocked off. And somebody hung a sign and it says, you are the feet and hands of Jesus. That's what John Wesley was trying to say. Is that our faith needs to be active. And so what faith is not is empty words. What faith is not is some kind of mental assent alone. What do I mean by that? I think it's important that we hold the strong doctrine. I think it's important that we hold to biblical principles. And I would suggest to you that there are those in our culture who want to see the eroding of our orthodox faith, even in the church, washed away. 
the foundations that we have in Christ and in Christ alone, the inspiration of Scripture, there are some of those for the sake of convenience who would like to see that go away. And, and I'm one that has a strong conviction that we're to hold to what is true. And truth is not easy. Truth brings about change in our lives. It brings about transformation. And one of the things about the Scriptures is when I read the Scriptures, when I look at the Scriptures, when I study them, it becomes a reflection of my life in a way that I see what is wrong with me and I say, oh God, I need you to clean me up. I'm a mess. Okay? And so truth does that because I'm confronted with truth and I have to change. And so believing the right thing is important but that's only part of it. And, and for those of us who have a high value for Scripture and who value Orthodox faith, what tradition has held, we're just as bad as those who may be way out there if we simply say we, we believe the right thing and do nothing. And so what James is saying is, you've got to have sound doctrine. You've got to have boundaries in what you believe. Not everything will fly. Not anything just kind of goes. You've you got to have some markers in terms of your moral life. Knowing that is important, but don't just stay there. Be busy. Get engaged. Respond to the needs of others. And let that truth, let that truth so come through your life that change happens in others. And so don't just hold to that truth and say, well, we got it. We've got the corner on it. And then just hold it in your possession, but share it with others. And so one of the things that, that the scripture says, and, and James does a good job with this, and I like what he says in verse 19 He's saying it's not just about mental assent. You believe that there's one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe that, he says. And they shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? He's saying, look, having right beliefs is important. But you know what? Satan has right beliefs. He knows who God is. And so to be about acts of kindness... To alleviate suffering is only part, is the second part, the social holiness to the spiritual holiness. And faith is not empty words alone. It is not mental assent, theolo theological thinking alone, and right beliefs. And it's not by itself. Faith is not in solitary confinement. Verse 17, in the same way, Faith by itself is not accompanied, if it is not accompanied by action, it's dead, it's lifeless, it really is meaningless. We live in a very complicated world, don't we? And we, and we have a lot of things circumstantially that we have to contend with. And what happens is it becomes easier for us to somehow compartmentalize Categories of our lives. Okay, we say our marriage is over here and our finances over here and our education is over in, in this container and our possessions are over here. Oh, and then there's God. And it's kind of like a Tupperware faith. And we seal the freshness of Jesus in and he never really gets out. 
And yet what real faith in Christ means is that, that we have him inform all of those aspects of who we are. And he begins to work in us in such a way that supernaturally we're able to respond to the needs of others. We're able to begin to have the compassion that Christ has. Because on our own, we cannot do that. We don't have it within us. We're broken. We're fallen. We're selfish. But when Christ begins to inform all of those categories and compartments, Christ begins to infiltrate every part of my worldview. And I begin to see people differently as they're made in the image of God. And I see my role in serving them through Christ. And so... It's important that we understand that faith is not just empty words. It's not just right beliefs. It's not by itself. But the ultimate goal, what faith is, faith, where we want to get to, is faith working in love. Faith working in love. And this is where John Wesley helps us. There's a quote, and he's he's talking about the believer. He says, he obeys not from a motive of selfish fear, We don't serve out of obligation, he's saying, or that somehow God's going to zap us if we fail to serve, but on a nobler principle. He's saying there's a a deeper motive than obligation or fear in serving. The grace of God ruling in one's heart, in his heart or her heart, and causing all his works or her works to be wrought, to be covered up, to be motivated in love. So what, what John Wesley is helping us with, and, and really bigger, what James is helping us with, is that the root of our salvation is faith in Christ. There's no question. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's unmerited favor toward us. That is the root of our salvation. But the fruit of our salvation is works. And if we don't have fruit, the root is useless. The plant has no real purpose. Our faith is dead. Jesus didn't talk a lot about faith and works, but he did talk about roots and fruit. (laughs) And he said things related to the fruit of the Spirit, and Paul talks about that in Galatians. And so what what I want to get to here is that when there's such a transformation that happens in our lives, when Christ begins to bring that change because of salvation, which we celebrate here, fruit begins to emerge. And that's what brings life to our faith. One of the things in the Old Testament was that Abraham, it was considered... It was reckoned to him as righteousness when he was obedient to God. In other words, he put his faith to work. His faith became complete when it was in action. So how is the fruit in your life? You know, it's a beautiful thing, I think, for God when he looks upon our lives and he sees that we are motivated not out of obligation, not out of fear. I see it in my own children There is nothing more moving to me than when, for example, my Rebecca and Jordan, they sponsor on their own, with their own money, a compassion child. One's from uh, Indonesia, 
that's Jordan, excuse me, Jordan has the one from Indonesia, I can't pronounce the name of the child, and then there's one from Africa that Rebecca has, she has a little girl, and so every month, uh, do you know how much money they send off? 38 bucks of their own cash. I got to tell you something, uh, that warms my heart. That when I see my own children being motivated, not out of coercion, but because they want to do this, because it comes out of the character of who they've become, as a daddy, I, I am excited. And, and recently, we, we had this conversation about how Rebecca's going to go to Asbury University, and she's going to have less cash and less spending money. She's not going to have the hours. She's not going to be working at Chick-fil-A. I said, well, what are you going to do about this compassion child? And she said, well, Daddy, I can't, I can't just cut her off. I was like, okay, good, I like that. Now, Jordan we're a little concerned about because if his mother didn't remind him to send that money, that child would starve. <laughs> but, you know, that compassion moves me. And that's where I want to be in my relationship with the Lord, that I don't act out of fear. I don't act out of obligation. I don't act out of somehow thinking that God's displeased with me, but I respond to God's grace. Matthew seven sixteen and 17, by their fruit you will recognize them. And he goes on to say, every good tree bears good fruit. Ephesians 2, 10 says this, and that's helpful for me because Paul has been talking to the church at Ephesus and he's saying, look, it's not in what you've done, but it's, it's about what's been done for you in Jesus Christ. That's where your salvation is. But he also says in verse 10 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, but look, you've been created for good works. You've been saved in part so you can serve. And so... I didn't stop number 23. I got to tell you that. I wish I could have. I didn't. But I slowed him down. I did slow him down. There was a great price I paid. But I slowed him down. And you know, the key was that somehow that coach made me get in the game, not just talk about the game. And I think about what Christ and this communion table reminds us of is that Christ came and he told us why he came, that he might have a life to give us, that we might have abundant life, that we might be redeemed, okay? And he didn't just talk about it. He went to the cross about it. So, as you come today, I want to I say to you, Christ didn't have empty words, but spoke truth and lived truth. And if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I want to invite you to explore the possibility of that relationship. Because it's a beautiful relationship. And Christ has, has put his words out there. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. But he didn't just use mere words. Just days after that, he extended his arms and was mounted to a Roman cross. All because of us.
He wasn't obligated. He was motivated by his love for you.